Welcome to an Upper Room Eavesdrop. For those of you who have been tuning into our Upper Room Zooms, we are transitioning that to a podcast that you can listen to on Wednesday mornings um, to supplement your Upper Room reading. And so each week we'll be having a different guest to discuss the topic of the Upper Room devotional that you that you read on Wednesday mornings. And this Wednesday, I'm excited to have my friend and co-worker Davis Johnson here with us to discuss what is a really challenging and difficult topic um, to talk about. But for those of you who have read your upper room this morning, you know that it begins um, with the author receiving some really difficult news that he has, he or she, excuse me, she, Molly Johnson of North Carolina, has cancer. And I know that many of you are aware that last year, um, our pastoral staff, we all had some challenges, and um, needless to say, um, and I think I think we can kind of snicker about them now. I mean, they're difficult, but you know, we um, they're wounds to to share with other people at this point. And so, I'm excited to have Davis on to talk about his cancer experience and. Uh, the challenges. I, I know that a lot of people knew that you had cancer. We shared certainly shared that with the church, but you haven't really talked about it a lot. And so you're sharing with uh, many folks for the first time. And so can you just share a little bit about your experience with that? Of course. Um, thanks for asking me to do this. I, I had just such a strange early spring last year. I had a really great winter as far as running goes because I was um, I was cancerous at that point. I, I probably had cancer from about the start of January. And uh, it was just a, an awful experience in that I knew something was wrong for about two months. But at the same time, I, I'd had this great experience of I was a better runner than I ever had been. I was never sore. I had all this energy, but I was... You were super skinny. I was, yeah, very thin. Kyle um, was great to tell me how much of a jerk I was because I was so hormonal. Um, and I, if any women are listening to this that have been through menopause, I, I can be your pastor because I have hot flashes every day. So I'm very sensitive to when... Women around me now talk about having hot flashes. Um, that is a spiritual gift of mine. Um, now I can minister to that area as a man. Uh, but, but it was a very scary, um, really, couple weeks. One thing that's awful for young people these days, I was so fortunate to be here at the church and to have health insurance, but I, it, I couldn't get a doctor for the longest time. I went to the um, AFC in Oxford and called... 11 doctor's offices, the 12th doctor finally was accepting new patients and wasn't improperly listed with insurance and tried to talk to some people in the church. And from the point that I met with who is now my primary care physician to having surgery was a little under a week. He um, did an exam and then I went and quickly had some imaging done and went to a urologist's office and um, the urologist told me that this was the last day of March of last year. So the beginning stages of the pandemic that I was probably dealing with testicular cancer and that that meant they had to operate the next morning. So, um, 
my mom spent about two weeks with me while I went through um, all sorts of visits. And it was such a difficult experience because um, I just had bad news after bad news. Yeah, so I remember that. I remember you calling me that day. How did like how did it feel to to find that out? Like, um, I was just it. It was so shocking. I've read I read this book that I shared with Leanne um, since going through this, but it was called it's called um, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies That I've Loved, and it's by another woman who has experienced a. A cancer diagnosis in her early adulthood. Um, I was successful through college, through seminary, um, all through my personal life. I've never had a setback that was actually going to stick with me. And I've faced challenges, but they'd always been little bumps along the road that made me tougher, you know, and that's not cancer. It just kind of breaks that way of thinking. So um, my whole world changed when it wasn't a suspicion anymore. I had learned I was going to have cancer and that's coming from someone that never really went to the doctor, was always healthy and, um, you had no reason to think that there was anything wrong. Yeah. And so it, it just, it was awful. It was such a disruption and just a permanent change in the way I thought. Um, and the real thing that changed in my mind came as I went through week after week of the worst news that I could get out of something. The younger you are, the more likely you are to have a less aggressive cancer. Um, and testicular cancer happens most among men between the ages of 18 and like 35. And it's the most common cancer among them, among men of that age. And um, I actually have the kind of cancer that's more common in men over the age of 30 and it's more aggressive it's what it's a mixed form of what lance armstrong had that is a very aggressive cancer so so you won the lottery yeah i just had just the luckiest uh, go of things um so i had surgery they did some imaging um or they did some like tumor markers and the whole time it was like worst case scenario over and over and over and it had access to my lymphovascular system which meant I needed an ultrasound and so I um I was prepared to do three rounds of chemotherapy at my oncologist's recommendation and that um I would probably have to go to one of five hospitals in the U.S. to get lymph nodes removed and that we would go from there. That would just be the beginning of what I had experienced. And, um, I was, uh, asleep one night while my mom was staying with me and she woke me up and she said, the scans were clear. Um, and I didn't believe her at first. Um, so it was surreal. Yeah. Cause I just had like a month of just fear and like the worst news possible. Um, it was really scary. So when she told me that like all the imaging was clear, um, I couldn't really like believe it. And so that started the process of me, um, 
actually getting a referral from my oncologist by um, Lance Armstrong's oncologist who name dropping name yeah dropping. gotta gotta do something um, he said that since I was so young and I was healthy that I should just um, wait to do chemotherapy if it came back which is great that I didn't have to go through it but it also means I have to do a lot of routine testing that brings its own anxiety um, and that um, I face just shy of like a somewhere between a 40 and 50% recurrence rate in this first year, which is almost past. So you constantly live in this state of uncertainty of between tests. Yeah. And it's gotten easier with time and, um, I hate a CAT scan lab works <laughs> fine. Um, it, um, but yeah, it, it, it's um, my experience of cancer has taught me just how how much time and how many spaces of your life are affected by something like a cancer diagnosis. Um, I every part of my life um, was shaped in some way by this diagnosis. Yeah. I just want to mention before we go into the next question that in the midst of all of this. Davis is killing it with us trying to make virtual worship happen. So he's still working in the midst of all of this nonsense and anxiety and uncertainty, um, which is amazing to me. Um, but how, how, did, how, how have you been able to identify God in the midst of such crap? I mean, it's just awful. Yeah. Um, I... I think that the presence of God is very real to me um, when I still had unanswered questions. Um, I still didn't know exactly how long I was going to be down, if I was going to have to move temporarily. If um, I mean, there were all these unknown things, and I had people from the church that were constantly at my house just showing me that they'd been thinking of me, and I'd get... a text from Lila Hamilton every morning with a little uh, cartoon and a happy message. And, um, it it meant a lot to me um, to know that people were, um, not because they wanted me to get something done up at the church, but just because I was a part of this community, mm -hmm. they were like on my team. It made a huge difference. And um, as I've was able to return um, there's it it really has amazed me how uh, I'll say again it, a cancer diagnosis happens in place so whether it was in my house and I had to redeem like my home life or my life here at the church uh, my vocation as a pastor there were all these things that felt like they were fleeting for a time when I didn't know what the future would hold for me and um, everything is different, but there was a huge piece that came. I remember calling a friend of mine who is a pastor in Atlanta and I was like, I'm in my office again. Like I feel really good that I get to sit down and hammer through dozens of emails that are going to make me frustrated, but um, I don't have any reason to think I'm dying at this moment. And I'm a, uh, I'm back at work. Um, that that brought a sense of peace because um, the dread of a bad diagnosis um, 
kind of displaces you from time and it it kind of makes a lot of different physical locations in your life tough to bear and um i felt a great deal of um deliverance from that as things were not back to normal but they were back within a manageable um kind of reach for me yeah so you introduced me to well it was an educational requirement but you affirmed that it was a good book to read um and that was henry nowen's um the wounded healer um and in the book he talks about ministering from our wounds these sources of pain that we have in our life and that um if we want to move forward in life we need to learn to use those as a source of compassion like how do you do how do you do that has it been help have has that been something that you've done that you found yourself able to do i mean it's only been a year right so it's you know i would assume it's still challenging but have you leaned into that or are you waiting for that is it not you know what, yeah what you I, I think it's been very helpful for me um to find ways of remembering how pervasive of a thing um, my cancer diagnosis has been. We've talked before about just like your counselor recommended to you, you, you probably should not counsel people who are grieving a child right now um, or people that are having difficulty with children. Um, it's only just recently been easier for me to um, be pastoral in the midst of um, people's cancer diagnoses or other ailments um, because it brings up your body remembers traumatic events mm -hmm. and um, so I've had to be gracious with my desire to be pastoral with that side of what I've experienced but I've been able to use that same sense of how widespread difficulty um, how how something like this difficulty can be present in every avenue of someone's life um, whether it's the same kind of experience, but in someone's financial struggles or um, continued job loss, um, whether it's trying to take care of a family member that they can't um, get their feet underneath them. There are all these things that people struggle with in our community. And whether it's cancer or not, there's just, just struggles yeah, just being a human. It's, it was easier at first to use my experience of having gone through something so traumatic. And it, I, I believe I was a pretty empathetic person before I went through this, but now knowing how much of someone's life is affected by this, um, I, I've been able to be more mindful of what kinds of um, challenges will face someone as I hear about a difficult circumstance that they've faced. Yeah. Oftentimes in these, these really challenging seasons, we find that we gravitate towards a practice or practices that really help us get through it. I know running is one for me. It's one for you. Like you mentioned, we've both run marathons, you know, it, we love it. Um, obviously you couldn't do that. Maybe. Yeah. Um, what were, what, what was a practice that you were able to adopt that really helped you? Yeah. I, the practices I chose to, to take on, 
were really in response to how real the, I, I've called it dread, the dread of my situation was so overwhelming um, and so constant. And it made me want to withdraw. And I'm a very social person. I believe I'm a pretty optimistic person by nature. And um, I try to bring people together. And so all of this happened as the world became closed off. We were all staying in our homes more. The pandemic was ramping up. And I was experiencing this darkness that made me want to withdraw. And so I knew that that was a a tempting path, but one that would only lead to further difficulty. So I, um, I didn't want to try and come up with some sort of triumphant message, but I did want to keep my body moving. Dale, Dale talked a lot in his ministry here about how he sees war veterans that are walking off the war, that one of the ways people deal with traumatic events is they go and they walk. Um, and it, we see this with children with autism. One of the ways people stem is that they'll pace or they'll move their arms. That movement helps us cope with stress. And um, so I would go on walks every day. I couldn't run. My urologist wouldn't let me. Um, but I was, as soon as I was allowed to walk, I was out walking for an hour at a time. And um it really helped me heal from a lot of that um, difficulty because I live alone. And so I would be at my house um, just reminded of all the difficult weeks that I'd experienced in that same house. And so um, the freedom to not be stuck, um, just kind of hobbling into the kitchen post-surgery and all of that made it, it, it brought about a lot of um, hope that things were not stuck the way they had been. Um, so I walked a lot and that helped me out, but I also um, spent a lot of time with your family and um, with my friends, Isaac and Christina, a buddy of mine named Gan, um, good friends of mine in Birmingham and Atlanta. Uh, I knew as tempting as it was to isolate myself, I had to be social um, or I was gonna sink. And, and it really did help me a lot the more that I reached out and the more that I made it a practice and a routine to connect with other people and to be honest about how I was feeling, um, trusting that people could hold the, the difficulty of that situation. Um, it really helped me as the weeks went on and kind of pulled me out of that dark place. Yeah. There's a very real temptation to isolate oneself. Um, I, I want to inquire more about the walking because one of the things that I know I've had to do since the accident is a psychotherapy that embraces movement and the pro along with the processing of the traumatic events. So like as you're walking, are you thinking about what you've gone through as a way to process it? Um, I, I would, um, I would often walk, um, people that have been through traumatic events, um, especially whether they were, um, the more surprising and shocking a traumatic event is, the more likely you are, I, I believe, to experience this unforeseen and 
hard to respond to amount of love that is present in your life. And so I would get cards, I would get texts and phone calls and even things in my email, um, just constantly people telling me they were thinking of me. And I would often, I think it's common to feel like you, I, I couldn't return that with any sort of a, a message or I would try my best. And so I would often walk and just try to process the place that all of that encouragement had in my in my journey going forward, that people weren't writing to give me another thing to do, but um, I tried to remember that the world was a lot bigger than the small circumstance that I was facing. Um, and that helped me to kind of, the further I was able to walk, not only did I see the progress of what I was going through, but um, I was able to get some perspective. I also um, made it a practice to, I, I started looking at flowers in people's yards and um, it, it just was really great to go through that in spring and I was in that really pretty downtown area. And, mm -hmm. um, it just helped me to get some perspective. Well, thank you for sharing and thanks for spending some time. I know it's really difficult to be vulnerable about it's, vulnerable. it's difficult anyway as just a, a person to be vulnerable. It's another thing entirely to be vulnerable as a pastor and a leader. But I know that you share the sentiment that I have that we all need to be vulnerable. In Christian communities, it's how we grow together, um, and it's good for us all. So, right. So thank you. Of course. Thanks for asking me to do it. I want to leave you with the scripture that you've probably already read this morning if you've read your upper room, but I think it's a great one to close out on because it's so helpful and it's so important. And it comes from Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. There's all sorts of ways that God is present with us in our crises and our difficult moments. And know that God is with you today.